Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Six seconds to go. Comes in the Tucker. Ewing sets a screen. The shot is off. Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Stricken Roll. I'm your host, Schwinnie Poo, as always. This is episode nine, and I am joined by a very special guest, a first-time guest of this pod, of any of our pods. His name is Mo DeKeel. He's the founder of the JumpBall.net. He's a former NBA video coordinator for the Clippers and Spurs and Australian men's basketball. He writes words for Bleacher Report and podcasts at The Athletic. Mo, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's, it, you know what? It's All-Star break. This is probably going to be my last uh, thing I do for the next <laughs> few days. So, <laughs> Before we get started, uh, I do have to announce to people uh, that if you're a Knicks fan, there are places to commiserate with other Knicks fans. Uh, one of them being the Strickland. And the Strickland does have a Patreon now. Uh, if you, There are many tiers you can subscribe to. There's a $6 tier. That gets you access to this pod right here, Pod Strickland, every Friday. It also gets you access to my mailbag that I do with Jeremy and Drew every other week. Um, that is fun, uh, and it's great, and it's dandy. Uh, it also gets you access to the Strickland Discord, where everybody is talking about how happy they are watching this team night to night and how pleased they are with the job that Tom Thibodeau is doing. Um, we also talk about other stuff like the Sopranos, uh, music. Sometimes we have extended debates about the movie Forrest Gump. Uh, but... There are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to weekly articles by the wonderful Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda. It also gets you access to to a solo pod I do, uh, which isn't really that exciting. Uh, It's called Strick and Roll. But if you want to listen to me yell more about the Knicks, you can do that. Uh, There are further tiers. There's a $50 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, $100 tier. All of those come with additional benefits like merchandise discounts, listening and uh, watch parties for games, listening and pod recordings, even potentially hosting a pod one day. Uh, but whether you choose to subscribe or not, your support is much appreciated. None of this would be possible without you. And without further ado, uh, let's get back to talking about our new York Knicks. I wanted to have you on because uh, you dropped a piece yesterday. Let's just get into this, obviously. I dropped a piece yesterday about Tom Thibodeau um, and more or less the poor job he's doing to be kind about it. Um, and I just wanted to, you know, kind of pick your mind about it a little bit more. Cause you, I mean, you know, in an article, you can never go as much in depth as you know, you can when you're just talking, but you touched on a lot of the issues that I think a lot of Knicks fans have had this year about what is going on with this team. And um, look, there's a lot, been a lot of discussion about Julius Randle's regression and is Kemba Walker cooked and all these kind of things. And yeah, all of that, it might be true, but I do think you touched on really key parts of like, yeah, look, like you got to be a little bit more creative too, right? Uh, offensively in particular. Yeah. It's, it's a bit frustrating. Like, look, your first year 
Tibbs' first year, he develops a great defensive identity. They lock down. They 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 really focus in on that end, and that's kind of what really took them to the next level. And then, of course, Julius Randle out of nowhere has a phenomenal year. Nobody was expecting that. Anybody who says they were is, is flat out lying. Like oh, I'm yeah, so, yeah. I'm sorry. Like just his numbers. Like when you go through his career numbers, <laughs> none of that comes close to what he did last season, right? And, yeah. and and respect to him. He was awesome. And and then come playoff time, he was not awesome. Because it's right. easier to, you know, plan against that. You know, and, and and down the road we could talk about it, but just playoffs is very different than the regular season, just in terms of strategy alone. And I think, you know, the the team, the front office even to a degree overreacted to how bad the offense was to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Made some moves that I'm not really fond of. Um you know, they were okay, but nothing great. And then, you know, and then you come into this season, I was expecting a regression from the Knicks. I was expecting a regression from Randall because I was like, yo, I don't think he could do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, yeah. And I, by the way, I wasn't the only one. It wasn't like, wow, Mo's so smart. No, a lot of us thought this. And, you know, we were proven right just in the way it sort of played out. But Tibbs isn't helping, you yeah. know. And, and And if you saw how bad your offense was in the playoffs – to come back this season and roll it back out, it just doesn't make sense. And when I say roll back your offense back out, you don't have an offense. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, 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 it's one of the more confounding things. I'm like, listen, Tibbs is a great defensive coach. I, I, I completely respect him on the defensive end. Why not hire a coach to be the offensive coordinator the way he was a defensive coordinator for Doc? Like, just those types of things. And, 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 and create an offensive system. Too much of their stuff, it just looks like pickup ball or it's a dribble handoff between Randall and Fournier. Yeah, and I think, I'm actually curious like what your thoughts are on this because, I mean, I look, Tibbs is a control freak. Uh, the, the way he coaches is very like, I mean, the last game against the Nets, we just talked about this a little bit, but like, if you watch that game, you watch the, just watch the fourth quarter, quickly is playing really well. He, and I thought he got pulled stupidly very early in the first half which kind of like was the beginning of the slow and steady um descent into a loss but um he was doing a really good job of pushing the pace which has been like when you don't have and to be kind let's just say when you don't have a very complex half-court offense one way to at least juice the offense a little bit and get some easy shots is to push the pace before the defense gets set and see if you can yield mismatches or just get an early quality or an early shot clock quality look. Um, and I thought in the fourth quarter, if you go back and watch it quickly come or quickly is in and he's trying to like push the pace, but you can hear Tibbs. And this is like, it's the funniest thing about Tibbs, right? Just, you can literally hear <laughs> yes. him. And so you can hear him every single time quickly is running down the floor and he's like, he's calling out a set and you know, it's, it's like, there's just so many things about it that are frustrating because like the one thing in the second half of that game in particular that the Knicks were able to do was like LaMarcus Aldridge is on the floor. Guess what you can do? Literally put him in the action every single time, put him in an action every single time and quickly was burning him, right? Like he was either scoring, getting into the paint or like throwing lobs to Mitch or whatever it was. He was generally just doing a good job. And that's not like immense praise of Manuel quickly to take advantage of LaMarcus Aldridge and drop coverage. Um, It's just, that's a very easy thing to target. And there was one possession where quickly comes down, runs a pick and roll, and he scores out of it. And the next time down, he's about to run a pick and roll. And then you can hear Tibbs, and he's screaming at him, 
just like basically as he's about to go into the pick and roll, screams at him, calls out a set, and you see quickly pull the ball back out, and then they run this like ridiculous pistol action for Fournier. And I'm just like, why? Like, I, that's the stuff that really boggles me. But to go back to the control freak thing, um, I mean, do you think it's possible? Because, look, the, the Knicks hired, when, when they hired Thibodeau, they made a very big deal about not just having him fill out his staff, but also they got went out and got Kenny Payne from Kentucky. And more importantly, they went out and got uh, Johnny Bryant as an associate head coach. Um, they paid a lot of money to bring him in that capacity to New York and give him that title. Um, I mean, is it possible that like these guys have different ideas from Tibbs and they're just not being empowered to introduce them? Yeah, it's it's hard. Like I think there, I've been on part of staffs where it's like the, only the head coach speaks in practice, mm. and it was the weirdest experience of my life. And if an assistant <laughs> and if an assistant had a note, they would walk over to the head coach tell the head coach and if he agreed with it would share it with the team and if he didn't agree with it obviously there's nothing being said and it's just kind of like i would watch that stuff now listen i was a video guy i didn't speak in practice right <laughs> like i would tell the assistant coach but you know the assistant coaches and some of the other places i've been to all are kind of coaching and 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 doing their thing so i think sometimes you have an issue of you know it's not just tibbs hiring his own guys but now it's a question of trust and things like that and i think the big thing for me, Shwini, that like when they hired Tibbs was they were talking about culture, right? Like we're going to change yeah, the culture yeah. here. We're going to change. That was the big key word, right? Brought in all these guys. Um, we're we're, we're, we're going to start to make the Knicks relevant. And it's fun. And it's fun when the Knicks are, are, are good. We just saw it last year, right? And the fans going completely nuts. I mean, I started my story with Bing Bong because I just find it <laughs> hilarious. Um, but, you know, the the – the problem for the Knicks, and this was their issue too, was after one year, they're like, our culture is fixed. Culture takes forever to establish, and it can come down in a split second, right? And and, and one year is not enough time. And then I see the stuff where you have Tibbs, who's he's not allowing other people to grow. It doesn't feel like you're getting a lot of stuff from the co the assistant coaches. It doesn't feel like you're getting a lot of growth from the players. And I think that's sort of the situation. It's Tibbs... Tibbs way or, or or no way at all and you know it's interesting when you look at coaches who are successful there there tends to be a little bit of a coaching tree right like you know we all know the story with pop and, and all his his assistant coaches right but like Kerr's guys tend to get a, a, a head coaching jobs elsewhere and, and 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 things like that you have sort of a tree slowly being developed Miami guys you see this in football too all the time. Like the all Rams the now, right? Like the Rams have like 15 guys now that are head coaches. Well, if them. you've coughed on Sean McVay, you are uh, <laughs> capable of being a head coach in the NFL. Um, you know, and, and I, it's, it's, but that's, you don't see that from Tibbs. When, from his times in Chicago when the team was really good, I don't remember anybody coming from Tibbs' staff getting a head coaching job. You know, obviously Minnesota, the, wasn't so good didn't work out and he's just been with the Knicks now and it's you know it, it, there's not like and, and part of it is just he, he doesn't I don't necessarily know how much he empowers his assistant coaches and I'm not on the inside so I don't know whether he does or doesn't just from what it looks like it doesn't look like he does yeah and I think I think when you're talking about that like so when last year if you watch the Knicks and, and I'm sure you did watch the Knicks obviously um like I I it watch badminton, Schwinny. I don't watch. <laughs> I don't watch hoops. I'm a badminton guy. 
<laughs> Aren't we all? Um, but like last year when you watched the Knicks, it was it was still like a very basic offense, and and they were and to your point, like they were very committed defensively, right? Like Reggie Bullock is a very different player than Evan Fournier. So when you tell him this is your role, I need you to execute these things, he's going to be like, okay, yeah, I'll just stand around on the perimeter, wait for kickouts to shoot threes, and I'll bust my ass on defense. Um, Evan Fournier is a guy who's like gotten used to a certain quality of life, right? Playing in Orlando, getting a lot of touches and all this kind of stuff. And however you feel about him, that is kind of irrelevant once you bring him into the situation. Like he is now here. So you as a coach have to adapt a little bit. And I think like what we have seen now, especially as the season has gone on and the team has, uh, I guess you would say struggled and struggled more. I think you've seen him in a way, almost like isolate himself and everything he, he becomes even more and more like you know when you corner like when you corner somebody they can like kind of show you who they really are at their core and i feel like instead of trying to embrace any type of change he's really really reverted to like what his core beliefs and tendencies are and that to me is probably the most disappointing part of it because it's like you go to the playoffs last year and i think the knicks especially now obviously in hindsight we can clearly say they overachieve but like whatever it was whatever like you can't just take what you did last year and then go to this next season and like assume oh yeah this is it we're gonna do exactly the same things and this is like you have to evolve and adapt and especially like look like you take out alfred payton and reggie bullock from the starting lineup and you bring in kemba walker and evan fournier like these are completely different players and whether that was that was the right or wrong move as a coach i feel like your responsibility is to try to optimize the pieces you have and i don't think he has done that i think what he has done is basically he wants his those players to adapt to him entirely like you said it's his way and that's it and i think you and you touched on this too like the lack of development um in in your piece you talked about it with the young guys i think you've seen this almost like to a T with them, right? Like RJ Barrett's a third year player. He was a third overall pick. Emmanuel quickly had an awesome rookie season, second year player. Obi Toppin came on towards the end of his rookie season. I think he's taken actually a pretty significant, uh, he made a significant improvement this year, even though the minutes wouldn't show you that. Um, Second year player, you drafted him eighth overall. Like these are young players who naturally when you're a young player and you have a good season, you want to take that next step in your career. And it feels like, especially with them, you can really see this. Tibbs, like they came back, they probably all worked on their games in the offseason, super excited to like take the next step in their careers. And Tibbs is like, no, you are doing the same exact thing that I wanted you to do last year. And this was like a big thing with RJ because... You know, I, we've had Seth, uh, your good buddy Seth, on the show, and we've had. He's not my friend. Fun. He's my enemy. Don't, don't, don't ever equate that as we're we're friends. We just your mortal together. enemy, your mortal <laughs> enemy, and fellow podcaster Seth. But yeah, we've had fun debates with RJ Barrett. But it's like, is you as an organization, and I'm sure if you asked, if you gave Leon Rose wherever he's hiding truth serum, and you give Will Rowe at West truth serum, and you ask them, like, how important is RJ Barrett's development to your future? They would say critical. Whether that means he's a trade piece to get a star or he develops into a star, whatever it is. Um, he's key to that. And so I think it's like what you saw with him is he came back this year. He probably wants to show off all these things he's been working on. Right. And instead of that, he comes back and Tibbs is basically like, you are a floor spacer. 
you are playing off the ball. And it took like the entire team being out with COVID and being ravaged with injuries. Literally, I know the date. It was New Year's Eve. That's the first game where you saw him give the ball to RJ Barrett. And it was like, okay, we're going to run a bunch of offense through you. And that is when RJ had significant uptick in performance over the, over the next month. And it's like, but that's where you can kind of see where it's so rigid. It is so much like, this is what I want you to do. I don't care what you were good at or what you worked on. I need you to do these things because if you do these things, we will win. And it's like, yeah, man, but that's not really like, I just, do you get what I'm saying? It just doesn't feel like there's any give. With what you said, though, there's a lot to unpack. First, let's just start with on the coaching side and adjusting and being adaptable to the players you have. Like there are coaches out there who are, I have a system. There's only certain players that can fit my system. I must have those players. If I do not have those players, I will not be able to coach them in the system. And then there are coaches who are, give me the players and I will develop a system around them. I think now more than ever, we need more coaches that just take the player and then build a system from that. Cause I think that's the proper way to do it. It's like when you have groceries, right? Like yep, yep. you don't, I'm not trying to make lasagna when all I have is, is rice, shrimp and, and broccoli, right? Like that's, you know, like, it's not like, okay, well now I'm not eating, um, you know, like that's it. I don't, I wanted to make lasagna. I don't have the, the, the stuff I need. I'm not eating. And, 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 and Tibbs is trying to force everybody into these boxes, right? This is how he is. This is how he coaches. This is everything he does with, you know, I need these types of guys. And I, and, and there's also an element from coaches sides where it's like, yeah, like, this type of guy isn't going to fit our offense or what we're doing. We're having success this way. Let's continue doing that. And I understand that. And that's what you want to stay with. And you want to make sure you keep bringing in those guys. There has to be some give though, right? Like Tibbs is so slanted on the defensive side. They gave him offensive players, but because they can't defend, he doesn't want to play them. And and also I just want to touch on this too. Like there's this idea that because they brought in Fournier and Kemba, the front office, like, went away from what he wanted entirely. And I just don't buy that because like they brought back Alec Burks. They brought back Nerlens Noel. They brought back Derek Rose and Todd Gibson. Like who do you think wanted those guys back? You know, like they brought back four players that were free agents from last year's team. Probably. I, I think very strongly at the behest of Tom Thibodeau. And there's been reporting to suggest that he was also on board with Evan Fournier's signing, which wouldn't totally surprise me because Steve Clifford obviously coached Evan Fournier for a long time and they're buddies. Um, so like, I just wanted to mention that because I do think that like, yes, to your point as a coach, it can be frustrating if you don't feel like the front office is listening to you, but I do think they listened to him. They just didn't listen to him a hundred percent. Right. And, and it's not even that it's just, you know, they have the front office's job is to put the best team out there. It's the coach's job to make them to, to put it together. Right. Like they're, mm-hmm. they, it's the bills, parcels, you know, shop for groceries <laughs> type of thing. I'm going to butcher it. Cause I, I, I don't remember it fully well. Oh, I know. I know. But, I know what it is, but I don't remember it exactly. Well, right. it's, 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 you want me to cook, but you won't let me shop for the groceries type of deal, but that's coaching. A lot of coaches don't have, I mean, we had the run with coaches trying to be team presidents. Tibbs was one of them. It did not work out well for 90% of them. I worked for one of them with Doc Rivers. It didn't work out well. And, you know, it it ends up being a problem. So, like, the front office's job is to bring in the players. And then from that, Tibbs is supposed to look at what he has and then build a, a, a team out of that. And he, again, it's, it's so slanted sometimes, like, he just, 
hey, he, he gives up on guys real quickly. We saw how quickly he gave up on Kemba Walker. And, you know, and then had to need to bring him back now, you know, and, 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 and keep him in the fold and things like that. I think you have a lot of issues in just the stubbornness from Tibbs. And then, it, and that's really when it comes down to the young guys. Why is Taj Gibson getting more minutes than Obi Toppin? Oh man. Forget I, about, I forget about who's better, whatnot, things like that. Obi Toppin has clearly worked his butt off in the off season, right? Like yep. at times last season, he did not look like an NBA player at all. This season, he comes into games, he's bringing energy, juice, things like that. He's worked on his game to a degree where I'm like, yo, you could play him. And no offense to Taj Gibson, I'm a USC guy. He's a USC guy. I'm always going to give love to my Trojan family. But, yo, the dude's old. And I love Taj, too. Like, that's that's what I hate about what he's doing with Taj, because I'm like, Taj is a guy that... Every every now and then, if you need 15 minutes, he can give you that at this point in his career. He cannot give you 25 every single night. That is just crazy to me. Yeah, it's just and it's it's just not fair to Taj at 36. Yeah, you yeah. know, and 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 you know, and you have a young guy in the wings waiting. Now the questions: Can you play him with Julius Randle? I go like, well, Toppin's not that di- I mean, that different from Taj in the sense of you know space in the floor and things like that. Like I think you can and. You know what? You don't know if you don't put him out on the court and try it. And yep. at this point in the season where, look, it doesn't look good for the play-in tournament. Sorry, guys. I, I hope I'm not breaking anybody's hearts here. But I think uh, I think you're making a lot of people happy, actually. Yeah, because they want the lottery <laughs> pick, right? <laughs> but, you know... The, and Ivy, come home. <laughs> but, you know, when you're looking at it and you're just watching it and it's just experiment with these guys. Like, here's the thing. I wanted to write this story after the Oklahoma City Thunder game. When they lost. And, 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 and I mean, obviously, we all know the timeout debacle. I highlight it in the story. You can go through it on, on that story. We've all, we all kind of know that. But you know the most telling thing to me was, though, Shwini? Emmanuel quickly didn't get in until the very last play of overtime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was... The quickly stuff this year has been... It, Look, he's had a really bad month, and even if you go by this horrible shooting month he's had, if you look at the Knicks, you just I, I posted it today, if you look at their on-off, their net ratings by player since that New Year's Eve game, you look at it since then, and he's been in a horrific shooting slump for all of this, he is still grading out as this Knicks' second most positive player. You can say there's noise and all these kind of things, but at some point, when a guy is consistently positive, and he's been a positive player going back to his rookie season, they are doing something on the floor that you need to bring it like he needs to just play more. It doesn't because if you especially like like you just said, he's out on Kemba. We know this. It doesn't matter if he's starting him. We know he is out on Kemba Walker. If you're out on a guy, then be out on him and just roll the dice on some new shit. Like that's the entire like the Obi Toppin stuff. I don't know if Obi Toppin and Julius Randle can play together. Maybe they can. There's a good chance they can. But guess what? What the like I know for a fact Randall and Taj in the year 2022 is not doing anything like you already know these things with these veteran heavy lineups he leans on. And, and then when you don't give the chance to young guys, you'll never know. Like, you know, do you think that coming into the season bulls fans were like, yeah, Io Dosunmu starting point guard. Let's go. No, nobody fucking knew that, but they knew that they know that now because he got the opportunity and he took it. So good on him. But like, would Grimes have had this opportunity if not for, you know, uh, fucking worldwide pandemic going on that ravaged the team and opened up minutes for him and injured. No, he probably wouldn't. He'd be sitting on the bench and we'd be talking about how 
Grimes needs to, we need to find out what we have in Grimes, but now we know because he happens to get minutes. So um, I'm sorry to interrupt you there. I just had to vent. <laughs> no, no, no. And, and, and like, I'm, I'm actually, it's, it, it was buying me time to pull up stats while we're talking, you know, and Taj Gibson and Julius Randle, we know when they're on the court together, negative 6.1 rating for the Knicks. Yep. We know it doesn't work. Sorry. Like, you know, and, and, and it's, it's pretty obvious. The numbers tell you that, so, you know, it's, it's, it's obvious on the court, but he's so attached to these guys, right? Like these are his guys and it hurts you in that sense of young players can't get better unless they're on the court. That's yeah. the important thing to understand. Like young players need minutes to be able to develop and, and, and in NBA games, there's not nothing you can do in the off season, nothing you can do in practice that can simulate an NBA game. You could send them to the G league. It will not simulate an NBA game. They need those reps. And those are important opportunities. That thunder game, which I didn't go into the story with, with, with the quickly stuff. Cause you know, it's, I was already tired cause I was writing in the middle of the <laughs> night, but like you look at it this way, that was an opportunity for Emmanuel quickly to get a rep one way or another in crunch time situations. Right. And that's a blown opportunity. And I think that's one of those things like you're looking at with the Knicks. And there's just so many examples of that. The my my favorite one is the whole Cam Reddish thing. I like the Cam Reddish trade. I think Cam Reddish can be pretty good. I don't think he's going to be a star. I think he needs to kind of realize himself. He's not going to be a superstar. Your front office gave up a first round pick for Cam Reddish. Okay, and, and, and heavily protected, all that stuff might convey, might not. We know all those things. Yeah. But it's a first-round pick, yeah. But it's a first-round pick. It's draft capital. And you don't play him? You know, and then now he barely gets... I mean, he gets minutes now, but it's not even a lot. And it's not in, in, in um, big big junctures and things like that, big stretches. And I think you're, you're, you're looking at it as the front office going like, yo, like we need to see what this kid can do. You know, we traded something for him because we think he could play. He's got to play. You know, and that's and that's why during the trade deadline, I was surprised they didn't move Walker or Fournier. Granted, maybe nobody wanted them, which is a whole other side of it. But that's on the front office. Um, you know, it, it, it to clear space for these young guys to get minutes and to get opportunities. So I think there's just an element there when you're looking at it from the way Tibbs kind of goes about it. It's he's so hell bent on trying to win every game. He's not seeing the whole picture, and I think that's really what hurts the Knicks. You know, I joke with a friend of mine, you know, I go like, that last season really hurt the Knicks more than it helped them because it won. It placed the expectations on, on, on them for the next season that they weren't ready for. They probably could have used another nice lottery draft pick, and, you know, it's, it's, it's put them in a situation where they, they didn't develop the young guys as much as you would have liked. And that's why I thought, you know, I wrote a piece when Tibbs got hired. I wrote it. God, time is such a weird construct nowadays. But, you know, I wrote it, you know, before the start of last season where I graded all the coaching hires. And I thought Tibbs was the wrong guy because of that. They needed the development stuff. Granted, it looked really good last season, but not being able to continue it this year is a problem. And I think there's just so many issues from Tibbs on that, you know, just on the coaching sidelines, I think it's, it's, it's rough, man. I, I, I don't know what else to say. Like, I just feel for Knicks fans. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, um, it's, it's the evolution. Like, like he is unable to grow with his players. So like, I thought last year he did a good job of like, it's easier with guys that are like, he was the first coach, right? Like they, they, 
the year before was a joke. Fizzle was awful, like just a complete joke. Um, you didn't learn anything from these that year. And so you're kind of starting from ground zero and you have, he has kind of carte blanche to create a culture and everybody's buying in. It's, a, it's very easy. It's a lot easier to do that in year one because everybody's eager to like prove themselves and turn things around and it's great. But I think it's a lot harder now in year two because guys now aren't just, they're not just in it for the team. They also want to improve themselves and your message can get stale. And I think unless you change with that, um, that's exactly what happens. So I, I, I can't say enough about how much I agree with you on that. And uh, I, I think like, this isn't making for good podcasting if we just agree. Yeah. I will. I want to, I actually want to, I wanted, I wanted to ask you about this. Um, so you touched on the free agent stuff, you know, they signed Kemba, they signed Fournier, whatever. What I think happened is they had this crazy successful season. If you gave Worldwide West and Leon Rose, and even probably Tibbs, Truth Serum, before last season, I don't think any of them would have been like, yeah, we're going to make the playoffs four seed. Like, that's our expectation. I don't think any of them expected that. I think they wanted to be competitive, respectable, just establish like the Knicks are not a joke anymore, and then go from there. I think they went 41 and 31. They got the fourth seed, and that was a tricky thing, right? Julius has this all NBA season. How are we going to manage that? So I think what they did is they tried to have a little bit of the best of both worlds. So they brought back a, lo- a few of their guys. They tried to make some modest upgrades in free agency, um, but they didn't go super long on any of these contracts. And at the same time, they kept their, they added two rookie or three rookies actually. And then another who's an overseas stash. They added some draft capital. I think they tried to balance it. And it hasn't worked out. So like, I guess my question is as a coach, at what point, like, cause to a certain point you have to play guys that were brought back in free agency. Like I understand it's a business and that part of it, but at some point, like he has to be able to realize, Hey, maybe these guys aren't helping me. And it is time for me to lean into these other players that the front office did bring in, which are these younger guys, these draft picks and all these kind of things. Like, I, I mean, is that a hard thing for a coach to manage? Or do you think that at some point it just needs to become blindingly obvious and it shouldn't be this difficult? I mean, it's, it, it is hard. Like, and, and I, I should, we should say this, we should have said this from the start. Coaching's hard in the NBA. <laughs> None of this is easy. Um, at, at any level, uh, all the, all the things we see the, the, an idiot on Bleacher Report writing an article and criticizing you. Like, you know, it's, it's hard. You got to deal with all this crap on top of, you know, actually coaching the team and all the stuff that we don't even see that goes on behind the scenes. The balance of how much do you rely on your veterans and how much do you develop your young guys is one of the hardest things that every team struggles with. You know, the Warriors, for as great as the, you know they they are, they struggle with it. And really, to, to this point, have yet to truly develop a young guy. You know, beyond you know after after Steph Curry during their championship run, right? They would draft guys. Jordan Bell, we would all go nuts. Oh my God, Jordan Bell, perfect fit for the Warriors. Oh, the Bulls sold him for cash. Yeah, right. Like the Bulls, <laughs> what the hell are you doing? Everybody was screaming at the Bulls. I can't believe you gave them the perfect piece. Never developed there for whatever reason. Could be him. Could have been the organization. Whatever. Just never developed. There were just so many guys, right? Uh, Patrick McCaw and, and 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 so many names that you could throw in there that never developed there. It's very hard when you're 
winning at a high level. Now let's look at the Knicks. Not winning at a high level, right? But, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's tough because they're trying to get there. And with Tibbs, he knows what he has in these guys. That's why he has that reliance on, on, on Derrick Rose, right? Like, he knows everything he's going to get from Derrick Rose. He trusts him with full, you know, I mean, the way I – actually, I don't trust my dog. I was about to say the way I trust my dog, but <laughs> my dog would leave me if somebody offered him a burger. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's just ultimate trust. In, in that sense and reliance. So he's able to go to him with the young guys. He doesn't have that. And I think that's the hard thing. Like, I think the organization that does that did the best really kind of developing talent while competing for a championship was the San Antonio Spurs, right? Like pop would do it where you'd have those guys, Tim, Manu and Tony, and then he would sit them out and he would play guys. Now, the main reason why he sit them out was to rest those guys, but it was also to give those other players on his bench minutes so that he can see who can do what. And in a pinch, who can I rely on? Right. How, mm. how am I going to find the guys like a Derek White and, and, and so on? You know, if, if I don't play them and understand how they're going to react in NBA games. And I think that's that's the balance you got to kind of strike. And you get to do that when you're really good, when you're a team that's like the Knicks now trying to make the playing tournament. You can't afford to, to, to risk that. But Tibbs has got to just do a better job with his rotations and understanding like what matters right now. And I think that's just the biggest the biggest question that Tibbs and the organization have to have to be aligned with and, and meet on, right? Mm-hmm. Is is Leon Rose looking at these you know Tibbs going like yo I need you to develop quickly. Barrett uh Toppin you know, I need you to play Cam Reddish, you know, and it's, hey, they might not be the pieces that take us to the promised land, but they might be the trade pieces that get us, yeah, you know, the piece yeah. that takes us there. Like, I need you to be involved in this and work with us on this and build on that. And I think that's the stuff, you know, your front office alignment with, with your coach being aligned with your coaching staff is one of the most important things for, for success in the NBA, you know, so- and. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Finish. Uh, I, I, but you're seeing that that the Cam Reddish trade was the first time where I saw it really kind of crack. Mm. Where I was like, "Wow, that's actually a very odd scenario there." Where where you know the front office made a trade and the coach is like, I, reportedly, like, "I don't want him." Well, if you if you listen to his press conference, because they asked him about it, obviously, like after whatever the the trade was made, the next day they asked him about it, and he very pointedly was like. Yeah, I guess our scouts watched him and they recommended him. So, you know, that's what the front office did. And it was like a very weird response to give. It was Tibbs is pretty good. Tibbs is pretty good in the media in terms of like not saying a whole lot. But that was the first time I was like, all right, he's definitely not happy about this. Um, but I, I actually look, I wanted to ask you this because, and this is a good segue into this. Um, like, how much do front offices influence playing time beyond just? you know, organizing the roster. Like, is that something that they do or is that mostly just up to the coach? Now I can't speak obviously for every front office and things like that. In my experience, it is mostly up to the coach. I've never seen the front office come down going like it. It's not like baseball, right? Like baseball, the managers come <laughs> down, you know, have basically are handed the lineup by the front office, right? This is who you're playing. This is who's pitching tonight. And if this happens, you know, they have like a whole diagram of things, you know, lined up in this scenario, you play this guy or whatnot. I've yet to see that in the NBA. Now I've seen the front office make suggestions. I've seen the front office with the analytics go, Hey, like we, we think maybe you should try to do this. If you play these lineups, these guys are good together, maybe stagger minutes, whatnot. I've seen that 
and I've seen coaches be receptive and I've seen coaches be resistant to it. So there's no full on. Yeah, definitely. This is how uh, it goes down. Um, I've never, I've just never seen or heard really a front office saying like, you have to play these guys. Now, normally what a front office would do is it's, it, Hey, okay. We'll just trade the guy ahead of him because we want to make sure this one's playing, you know? Yeah. And, and more, more, he did that last year. I think he traded somebody. So he was just like, yep, you got to play Paul Reed now. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and by the way, Paul Reed still didn't play that much. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> it, it, it was just, it's, it's along those lines where you're, you're watching it. And, and, and sometimes front offices don't want to tell coaches how to coach. Right. And, and, yeah. and maybe that's different in baseball and things like that, but like front offices, just, Hey coach, go to work here and, and, and develop it. But if you have a good relationship with your front office, they can make that suggestion to you, you know, and, and, and you can go from there, but it's, it's really tough Shwini, to say one way or another, mm-hmm. like I, I've just never seen it. And I don't, I honestly don't think that's a good thing. You know, for the front office to come down and say, "Hey, you need to play this guy more," um, and and in that sense, just because like there's, there's also an element of coach sees who's working hard in practice, coach knows who needs to be rewarded and whatnot, and 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 I think that's something that that matters there that sometimes the front office guys don't see. Before we continue ranting, hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. You like 360 windmills, press? I don't know. Don't worry about it. Nice. Uh, new customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge crash cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older. Minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text the TN Redline 1-800-889-9789 in Connecticut. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text Hope and why four six seven three six nine. I guess uh, just to to go back a little bit, uh, we have some questions about. Look, there's been a lot of discussion of the Knicks don't have a point guard, so what offense can Tibbs really run? Like you know that kind of thing. Oh, you know they just they don't have enough talent, so he has to lean on ISOs for Julius and Burks and all, or or Randall himself is hijacking the offense and isolating. Um, I, I guess like. For us as fans, you know, obviously this is not a perfect roster. It was very much a work in progress. Is it like, is it normal and is it acceptable for the offense to be this vanilla? Or do you think that's a cop out that, like, well, he doesn't have a point guard, he doesn't have these things? Like, to me, I watch it and I'm like, yeah, I understand you have these limitations. 
But it also feels like you are leaning into limitations and not even allowing yourself the possibility of something better. I mean, not playing quickly a point, for example, um, is one, not playing Toppin and Randall together. But I guess, like, do you think that it's okay for the offense to be this simple and understandable? Or is that something where, you know, just because your roster isn't super skilled or limited, um, like, no, it should still be a lot more, there should still be a lot more going on. Yeah, I think it's a cop out. Like, especially, hey, we don't have a point guard. A lot of teams don't have like a traditional point guard and still run a pretty solid offense. I think it's just a matter of putting in a system, developing something that, that, that hey, we can kind of run through it. These are the guys I have. Okay, cool. Let's almost, and, and you could still run a simple offense. It sounds stupid, but almost, hey, Pass this way, screen away, right? Like, whatever. Go set a pick. Like, you can run simple stuff and and develop an offense with those kind of, as your building block tenants. I just, when I watch them offensively, these are the things I see. Julius Randle go one-on-one. Isolation, usually him at the elbow. Um, mm-hmm. Either a pick and roll in, in, the, in the Julius Randle isolation. Or, for the most part, an Evan Fournier... Uh, pistol action or handoff with with Randall. You know, those are like the three things. It's very easy to defend them because it's very easy to game plan knowing like they're not going to run much more else. Yeah, they'll run the occasional floppy and stuff. And they get some good looks out of it. You know, I'm not trying to like, you know, it's 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 sometimes they'll find a thing where a guy they get some penetration, they find the right open guy, kick it out for the shooter, they knock down the shot, whatever. Like they get looks out of it sometimes. But there's no cohesiveness. There's no flow. There's no counter to these things, right? Like when you watch, and I get it, it's the Warriors, they're, they're special. But when you watch the way they play, they run their offense, and then they have their set of counters. And then they have their counters to their counters and things like that. And that's something that developed over time. You're just not even seeing any of that sort of sprinkled in with what's going on with the Knicks. And we can make all the excuses, but just Tibbs has a history of not being a good offensive coach. It's, it's yeah, just, it's, it's not like, you know, we, we can keep talking about it, but it's like he's, he's has good offenses when he has good offensive talent and he doesn't have to coach it much. Yeah. I think, I think there's been a lot of like, you know, the Knicks are, these guys aren't shooting well, that can't be on the coach. And I just don't really accept that. I think that's actually bullshit. Like coaches can definitely perceptibly have an impact on how effective players are. I mean, look, like let's let's be real. You want to know when guys shoot better? A lot of times guys shoot better when you play them in lineups that work instead of playing them in lineups that don't work. Right. And if you constantly play them in lineups that don't work, then yeah, guess what? They're probably going to shoot like shit and the paint's going to be clogged and they're not going to play with any pace. and all. Like all this stuff to me is just, I think it's complete bullshit. I think it's been a cop-out for people for some reason. Like I, I think Tibbs is a good coach. I also think that there's a... F- definite fucking ceiling of where you can get to with Tibbs as your head coach because he will not adapt he will not evolve he is stubborn and that is okay like I think the Knicks pegged him as the coach because they wanted a guy who could just get them to a certain point I don't think that they went into this with Tibbs is going to be our forever coach like I don't I, I truly don't believe that um and that time maybe has just come a lot faster than anticipated because Julius Randle decided to be an all-NBA player last year, and they actually do have young talent that looks like... I mean, look, I don't know if any of these guys are going to be stars. I'm pretty bullish on R.J. Barrett. I think the rest of these guys can be good NBA players, whatever that means. But like, I don't know what they can be, but I do think that like there's a better use for them than, than we're seeing. And 
Um, I think you can get better results in certain different constructions. And, and you know, go, to go back to the offense thing, like when I watch the Knicks, like you said that, you know, they run floppy, they run these DHOs and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, they run actions that other teams run. But I don't feel like anything is layered. There's no like flow into, okay, this DHO didn't yield something, but we have something coming up on the on the weak side that we can flow into naturally. Like there's none of that. It is just like this is the primary action that we are working on. If that does not work, then somebody is going to ISO and have to create something. Or somebody is going to get the ball at the top of the key, call Mitchell Robinson to come set a screen, and they're gonna run like that is it. And and you can see this a lot with Obi Toppin, right? Where he's this like when he came out of college, the entire thing with Obi Toppin was like, he's this dynamic, like, sh- you know, pick and roll player who can pass out of the short roll and has, you know, he can jump out of the gym. And you watch us, and it's like, I looked at this, I looked this up the other day. Basically, if you look at our pick and roll frequency, and I know this doesn't, it doesn't encapsulate all pick and roll possessions because the NBA.com data is a little weird. But like, basically, the frequency of pick and rolls is like Julius and Obi get used half as much as Rollman than Todd Gibson or Nerlens Noel, which is crazy. Like that is absolutely crazy. And that just shows the rigidity to me of how he approaches things. And I, and I also want to flow into this because this was a question that somebody wanted me to ask you was the pick and roll stuff. Like, you know, we saw pretty early on that, like you mentioned, Tibbs punted on Kemba, right? He was like, he'd seen enough. He was like pretty much over him. And yeah, he's come back in and whatever, but do you think that Kemba's really as cooked as he looks, looks, or do you think that the lack of pick-and-roll possessions and how Tibbs is utilizing him exacerbates exactly, you know, we all know he has knee issues, but it exacerbates maybe how, how much he really has left in the tank. <laughs>